0: You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. All right, so I went to Stretch Lab this morning, and Stretch Stretch Lab is this like assisted stretching. You know how, like you were always telling me I should stretch, and you're telling me this, you know, knee yes. over shoulders guy or hips over knee guy or whatever he is <laughs> knees
1: over toes <laughs> knees over toes knee over shoulder that's <laughs> that'd be impressive that's, you just do handstands yeah so
0: so anyway so I, I go to this place and it's a it's assisted stretching so it's it's
1: lazy cheap, stretch
0: it's lazy yoga yeah all right okay. it's lazy yoga and so they they bend you up and they they stretch and all this type of stuff and and it you feel really good afterwards right yeah and so I'm talking to this woman who, who I've been going to like like once a week. And so she'll do this assisted stretching. She said, What are you doing today? I said, Well, I'm you know, talking to Dr. Stu. She says, Oh, you know, what is that? You know, because she knows it's about decision making. So she's, yeah. you know, she's okay. trying to figure out what's going on. And mm-hmm. I said, Well, he's, you know, an OBGYN and he left the hospital system and he works with people community based. Yeah. So she was super interested in that. It was uh, when we were planning on having this discussion. I was interested, but I was concerned a little bit that Morgan was pranking us,
1: <laughs> <laughs> trying to get us to talk to one of her gurus well,
0: because, or neither of us know anything about this topic. I've almost never given birth. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been a participant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and being birthed. That's all, that's <laughs> my only experience. That's that is it. Yeah, yeah. So, I've heard of it though. Yeah, right.
0: So I've I've only been a participant. So I know nothing but what I know about you, and I think what Morgan knows about you is if the discussion veers into the medical, you you wow. break you break into a cold sweat. I'm
1: I'm turning off the camera. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I I just can't. I don't know what it is. Can't stand conversation. Like even the, right now, we're talking about talking about medical stuff, and I get it's like weird feeling. It feels like spiders crawling on my neck. Really? Yep.
0: It just freaks. It just weirds it's you.
1: It's not something I want to think about.
0: Oh, I you you must come by it naturally. <clears throat> I I don't know if I told you this story. So I went and had uh my knee looked at because I apparently tore my meniscus. All right. So there you go. You're uh, getting yeah, okay. you're getting you're getting freaked already. I I tore my meniscus. My doctor sends me to a joint doctor, right? Okay. And it's a doctor who works on joints, not a doctor. a doctor no, going to say, parties not a medical a marijuana yeah, right.
1: prescriber. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. He wasn't a medical marijuana prescriber. He <laughs> was a doctor that focuses on knees and elbows and things like that. So I go in and I, I'm talking to this, this woman who is, she's going to give me a shot in the knee.
2: Yeah.
0: right, The steroid shot in the knee, which, which. Doesn't hurt as bad as it sounds like it would hurt, but the anticipation of getting a shot in the knee. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: had that like six months ago. It was awful.
0: Oh, it's, it's the buildup to it's pretty bad. Yes. So we, she starts then showing me x-rays and starts talking to me about.
1: Before the, the shot.
0: Yeah. Um, she's showing me the x ray she's telling me about Mm-mm. uh what they could do with the Mm-mm. surgery Mm-mm. she's telling Mm-mm. me about the meniscus and she's tell- and she's going in as a doctor would yeah, right she's actual she's giving me all the facts yeah. right and i <laughs> I had to stop her i said i'm I'm really not feeling well
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, I, and i had to
1: i had to lay down. Like guidelines a, of this conversation like a little kid
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. like and hey. she's like oh sir all right and she like left and got me water and, no. and other people came in and this checked before you got the shot? oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and i felt so like, stupid like I, an
1: eight-year-old like an
0: eight-year-old i was oh i was so i, I started you know how you like get cold yeah, and you like start sweating, and then you like your palms are sweating. It, it's happening just oh, talking about.
1: Yeah, and I was like, I gotta, I gotta sit down. That's there. so funny. Oh,
0: it was so embarrassing.
1: That's yeah. so funny, but you know they see that all the time. I hope they. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I hope
1: she didn't go home and like, oh, guys, this loser. L-
0: listen to this. This grown man. Yeah, grown ass man. He came in and he got
1: woozy. <laughs> he had a tummy problem. <laughs> oh it was he was was, he was
0: scared it was
1: uh oh my gosh yeah i got a shot of my knee like um there was nothing actually wrong with it but i went to one doctor he goes oh you tore your acl and i go oh my gosh my life is over and then i went to another doctor he goes you didn't tear your acl you got arthritis I go, oh, that's worse. That is worse. <laughs> like, that's so much worse. Oh,
0: you got arthritis? Are you going to yeah. have to start like watching Fox News now?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: paying attention to mesothelioma ads. <laughs> I buy
1: gold coins. <laughs> buy gold coins. Yeah. And, uh,
0: buying pillows from the pillow guy. <laughs>
1: yeah. I I went in and the guy goes, you got arthritis. So now I have arthritis in my hands and my knees. What the hell? Yeah anyway he goes i'm gonna give you a shot and you'll be good to go And i was like oh no yeah and i start getting that feeling and i was just so nervous and then of course it's like oh hold on i gotta i forgot i gotta do, go do like a half hour's worth of paperwork now you know it's like hey you're gonna get the shot this is how long the needle uh, is. oh yeah
0: yeah the needles are like a foot long
1: and uh i mean i'll be back in a little bit at yeah. some point point. and then you're uh oh when is he coming oh no He came back. He gave me the shot. And as soon as that needle touched my skin, I just went, okay, I'm going to lay down now. Yeah. And I just, I, the whole time I thought I was going to pass out.
0: Oh yeah. It was, it was, it was bad.
1: Get that fixed. Yeah. Today's episode is sponsored by our producer, Morgan McKittrick. We talk all about her favorite topic, which is giving birth. And we have one of the. Leading experts in the world in home birth on the podcast. Dr. Stuart Fishbein was board certified in 1989, became a fellow of the American College of Obstetrics, Obstetrics, Obstetricians. Sounds right. Something like that. Whatever the study of the, whatever obstetricians do and gynecology in 1990. (laughs) You're just (laughs) nervous talking about the whole topic, aren't you? I just don't. I mean, anything medical, (laughs) you throw in women into it? Oh, geez. It's game over. Um, But Dr. Sue's been a practicing obstetrician in Southern California since he completed his residency in 1986. He decided to leave the hospital system entirely, now practices community-based birthing and works directly with home birthing. He's an outspoken advocate of informed decision-making. The midwifery model of care, human rights, and childbirth. He received the 2016 Most Audacious Award from the HRIC and the Association for Holistic and Newborn Health. He is the host of the Birthing Instinct podcast. We talk about independence from institutions as a method of making less biased decisions, coercion as an unethical decision-making technique, not relying on policies or assuming rules to make decisions for you, informed dissent, and shared decision-making. I learned so, 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 so much from this podcast, and I oddly feel like I have a, a... interest in home birthing. I oh. <laughs> uh, don't know how I'm going to apply that in my life, but uh, I was fascinated. I know that you're going to be fascinated too. I'm Sanger Smith with my dad, Sean Smith. As always, this is Decidedly. Sanger. Dr. Stu. Sanger. I am hey so excited to have uh have you on this marks a real transformational shift in the impact that morgan's had on our lives as two (laughs) dudes who got nothing to do with birth other than being born once a long time ago uh we now know a lot about uh the birthing world relative to where we did a year ago let me tell you
2: well every family is touched by birth and even if they don't know it and as you just said and the idea that we got three guys talking birth—this is probably a first for me as well. So uh, let's see where <laughs> nice. it goes. I don't we'll think we're see. actually talking birth so much, but I know where I know where you guys are headed. So <laughs> let's see what let's see what it <laughs> well, we'll, see let's what let's see happens. Out,
0: yeah, we 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 all learned a lot from uh, just knowing Morgan through her experience over the last year and a half or so. Morgan shared a lot with us, and when uh, I was telling Sanger earlier that uh, yeah, I felt like Morgan was pranking us by uh, setting this discussion up with you
2: i said i don't, I don't know anything about this Like <laughs> a fish out of yeah. water but uh, well i don't know anything about uh like financing or business stuff that you guys that's apparently <laughs> what, what you do i don't
0: my uh, I, ha- I have limited experience with with births you know I've got three kids that's it when uh when sanger was born i don't know if i've told you this story Sanger. so this was in the early nineties. so we had this uh, camcorder that was about yeah. the size of a cinder block. And we decided I'm going to take it into the, the room where you were born as, as dads did back sure. there, you know, he lugged this big camera. Around. So I set this camera on the shelf to, you know, to capture the beautiful moment and somewhere along the line, one of the attending nurses or somebody moved this camera <laughs> and moved it. <laughs> and uh, we we couldn't show that video to anybody.
2: <laughs> <after>. <laughs>
0: Cinematographically speaking, uh, it was a shot straight up Main Street, you might say, and it, it
1: <laughs> We were just horrified,
2: nice. yeah, because just it it was not viewable. You know what's funny about that, Sean, is that now if you go to if you go to Instagram, yes, yeah. yeah. like it's like Main Street is uh, shots up Main Street are, are ubiquitous all <laughs> over. These are my feeds and stuff like that. The people oh, that yes. I follow. Oh,
1: yeah. yes. I was on Instagram and I think I, I, Boy Morgan for this as well. I was on Instagram a few months ago and like, you know how sometimes you get the, hey, this is a, you know, censored video. This is dangerous. Like, you know, whatever. All, what do you do? I immediately click. Oh, it. you're going to click. I'm going to click. I are going to i do not care what it is, who posted it, what time of day it is, who's <laughs> behind me on the, you know, train car or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. I want to, I got to see that, man. And it was a full on birth of this woman who is standing and she caught her baby. What? Yeah. Yeah. She, she gave birth and caught the baby right there in her hand. And it was one of the most well, that's impressive a, that's things. That's a pro move. Seen.
0: That's, I can't be the first birth. That's gotta be like a
1: fourth, fifth child. Well, it seems like that, that, okay. I don't, I don't know if my, my experience, Dr. Sue is reflective of the average American here. But it seems like there's a movement with mothers to embrace more, um, you know. I don't know what you would call it—natural styles of giving birth, uh, etc. Giving birth standing up is one of these things that I've. Oh, heard.
0: is that a th- that wasn't
2: an accident? That's a thing. Oh
1: yeah, that's like something people do on purpose.
2: <laughs> I just, I'm going to sit here the entire podcast and just listen to you two guys, <laughs> because you know what? You guys are the quintessential, typical. Dads, yeah, um, who don't, who don't, and don't take this the wrong way, who just don't know anything about it because our culture, our culture has has sterilized it, birth and death.
1: Yeah,
2: and um, this is this is how mammals give birth. They give birth unassisted. They give birth by themselves. We, you know, we obviously have assistance there and stuff like that, but. They don't do it the way the hospital model does it. and Everything that the hospital does pretty much from the moment you get in your car to drive there until they put the baby in the car seat to drive home is antithetical to what you would do if your dog was in labor. We would never do to your dog what we do to the human female. Mm-hmm. And the idea that a woman gives, gives birth standing up or in the water or on all fours is so foreign to people because everything you've ever known is that, oh, she's got to be in the hospital on her back with her legs in the stirrups covered in sterile drapes and, and uh, everybody's dressed in their hazmat suits and the baby comes out and we quickly clamp the cord and the mom gets to see her baby for like three seconds. And then we walk it over to the warmer. And it's like, that's, that's what's been in the movies. That's what's been on television yeah. shows. That is absolutely uh, outrageously abnormal. And that's not the way it should be. Um, and, and you're right. There is a awakening that we have been gaslit by the medical profession for at least a hundred years, if not longer. And I think that the last couple of years have started to uh, highlight that for people. They've seen because of the lockdowns and because of all the the stupidity that they've seen um, and things that are coming out now, uh, the trust in medicine has never been at a lower point that I can think of in my lifetime. And I'm Probably 66 right. years old. I've been practicing medicine for 40, I'm in my 41st year, and it's, it's at an all-time low because yeah. people are dissociated from of re- reality. They're just, they're just lost. Um, there is this sort of mass formation that, that, that women's bodies need medical assistance in order to work. And without that, we as a species would, would rapidly become extinct. And that isn't actually the case at all. Um, well, you know,
0: that, that's interesting that you bring that up. And, and that sort of brings, brings me to the point I wanted to talk to you about. You know, When we look at having people on the podcast to, that are either decision-making experts or people who have made interesting decisions or have to make decisions for a living, uh, you, you certainly fall in that category of having to make decisions. And you made a really interesting decision. In moving, you know, spending your whole career training to become part of the the hospital system, the system you you just described, and then making a decision to depart from that, Uh, tell me tell me a little bit about the background of sort of where you started from in in that medical work and what caused you to sort of move to, uh, you know, a a different
2: way of doing things. Okay, well, I'm going to start at the very beginning and tell you that, you know. When I was born, my mother got twilight sleep and I was pulled out with forceps. And that was considered the norm. And obstetrics to me was not something I ever had any interest in whatsoever, but I was always a curious kid. I was always that annoying kid that when parents said something, they'd say, you know, you'd say, why? Yeah. Maybe, maybe Sanger, you were like that with your Relative. dad. I, I don't know. And then maybe, Sean, you you got so exasperated with Sanger that you'd say what my parents would say to me sometime, because I said so. And because I said so doesn't sit well with me. It hasn't ever since. And and all through uh, school and growing up and then college and then medical school, I always sort of thought in the back of my mind when somebody was telling me something, you know what? I'm a believer in common sense. I got a good common sense background from my parents. Uh, and when somebody tells me something that doesn't fit well with my common sense meter, um, it's probably not true. And I began to start to look at things during my residency program in OB. I picked OB by the way um, simply because when I was when you're a medical stu- when you're a medical student you have to make a decision in your third year as to what you're mm-hmm. going to do your residency in. That's just how it works. And so you do these rotations, and I had just come off a hematology oncology rotation for pediatrics, and it was very depressing, and, and the kids were dying of leukemia, and they had fungal infections in their brain, and they were getting amphotericin B, and it was really depressing. And my next rotation was OB, and here I was up at three in the morning catching a baby as opposed to you know dealing with a seizure in a 12-year-old. So I just sort of liked that specialty. And I liked the fact that you had longitudinal care to care of people over time. you got a little psychiatry. you got a little bit of uh, internal medicine, a little endocrinology. You definitely got some surgery in there and you got to catch babies. So it was, it was an ideal thing for me. And no one in those days thinks about the hours, the liability, the overhead. You don't think about those things when you're an idealistic, young medical student and, It's a good thing, too, or nobody would pick certain professions. But So then I went to my residency program, and even early in my residency program, I began to question why they were doing certain things. But I did come out trained as a medicalized obstetrician. I still remember being that person wearing the hazmat suit that caught the baby, that showed the baby to the mother, but didn't give the baby to the mother. Instead, walked Mm -hmm. it over and put it in the warmer or gave the mother injections of uh, medicine to dry up her breast milk so that she could then um, bottle feed with formula. And, you know, I look back at myself and I want to... Wait, I wanna that's, a th- that's a thing people do on purpose? That was a thing in the 70s and 80s that was, that was promoted by the pharmaceutical companies that made Infamil and Similac, um, that, that that was better than breast milk. And we mm, bought into so it, hook, line, and sinker. Por-
1: yeah, so they could sell their powdered formula? Correct.
2: Correct. Jeez. And they, you know, and they, just like they do now, They sponsor hospitals. They gave them money. They give the press money. They give big, big medicine money. So nobody really speaks out against them. But that's another conversation for. That's not where you want me to go with this. So then I came out in in practice, and because it was a different era in the early '80s, um, we didn't come out and get a job like you know somebody comes out now and gets a job for with Kaiser here in Southern California, and they work a shift and they get paid a salary and they get a pension and they get health benefits. No, we came out and we hustled and we built a practice from scratch. And uh, part of my hustling meant I covered emergency rooms, I covered free clinics, and I was approached by midwives and asked to take their transports from home. And I said, sure, not because I thought midwifery was a great thing or home birth was smart. I thought home birth was stupid, just like every other resident who comes out of training has been indoctrinated to believe that only birth in the hospital is safe. I did it because I was a mercenary. And I wanted them to make money, and so I began to take their transports. But I began then to see a different way of doing things. And I would have you to can, say, can I,
0: can I stop you when you say take their transports? What does that What does that mean?
2: Means when when, when some women who are having a home birth need to go to the hospital. Okay, so you, they're they're picking pick up from home, home birth, and bring but, them to the hospital. Yeah. The midwives bring him to the hospital, okay. not emergently. Gotcha. They, they're they exhausted or the contractions gotcha. are spaced Okay, out. I just
0: wanted to be, I just wanted to be clear.
2: I, right. I and you know, and I, and I forget, I'm speaking to an entirely different audience than I'm used to here. So yeah. correct me because I'll use terms <laughs> like that. Sure. I'll use yeah. terms like that a lot. Yeah. And so what happened was, is that I began to see another way of doing things. And I have to digress for a second. And also I finished my residency in 1986. And in 1986, I also read a A book that was a sentinel event for me, and maybe you've read it. I don't know. It's called Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Sure, sure. And it it changed the way I looked at the world. Um, You know, I was a traditional Minnesota Democrat. You know, I didn't vote for Ronald Reagan either time. I voted for Jimmy Carter and Walter Mondale. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I look back at that and feel pretty stupid as well. Right. So, (laughs) um, but the the book sort of changed the way I looked at things and made me question authority even more so than I did since I was three years old. And I began to see things a different way. And I saw that the midwife clients were actually better educated than my own, that the midwives were really smart and um, well-versed in normal birthing and actually knew more about normal birthing than I did. I was an expert in complicated birth and, and that we excel in it as obstetricians. But 85% of women are probably uh, perfectly healthy and don't need any intervention at all. And we have doctors who aren't experts in normal birthing being their practitioners it's all backwards and I began to see that and slowly over time I began to adopt the midwifery model into my practice and it actually after 10 years in practice I started a collaborative practice with two midwives in the hospital and we had really good numbers for 15 years we had a c-section rate of seven percent everybody else was in the high 20s or 30s and we did breaches in twins and vaginal birth after cesarean and took diabetics and hypertensives and all those things and and over time what happened was is the people in the hospital that were the traditional medicalized modelists the anesthesiologists the pediatricians they didn't like what we were doing and it made them upset and so the hospital began to pick on us and they began they to, didn't they didn't like the going home and having the birth they didn't like what what aspects Yeah they didn't they didn't like the fact that our clients didn't want epidurals they didn't like the clients, the, okay. the fact that, our, that moms wanted to go home four or six hours after they gave birth, and the pediatricians had to come in and discharge the baby because that's a, 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 I, I could go off on a tangent about the stupidity of certain policies and procedures in the hospital, but, but just needless to say that, that they don't like when their algorithms are busted. They, they, everything they do is on a policy or a protocol or an algorithm, and when somebody goes outside of it, they don't exactly know what to do. And yeah. I know this is mocking them just a little bit, but if you've ever seen the movie A Bug's Life, there's yeah. a scene at the very beginning where the, um, the ants are all bringing food to the offering and off of the tree falls this leaf and it falls down right in front of the ants. And the ants yep. get in a big yeah. panic and they don't know what to do because, because yeah. they're, 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 their system has been disrupted. And then one of the ants goes up on a rock and says, calm down will go around the leaf. And they figure it out. (laughs) But the medical model has yet to figure out that what they're doing isn't what women want. And so after 24 years in the hospital setting, um, they didn't want me to be there anymore. They weren't going to renew my privileges. And I did, it was untenable for me to stay there. So I started uh, doing home birthing. And for the last 12 years, I've been doing home birthing. And I've been doing breeches and twins and VBACs, which are vaginal birth after cesarean, and sometimes diabetics. All the things I did in the hospital, I'm doing at home. And it, it, it it's because you can think out of the box. When you're in the box, you can't think out of the box.
1: And now, I- is that the, the, the being boxed in, is that a function of the hospital system, the pharmaceutical industry, or is it a, a function that most of these hospitals are large organizations. Larger organizations are going to have a tendency to be more, more bureaucratic with their policies.
2: Yes, it's all, it's all those things. It's one way the doctors are trained. It's two, you know, it, the doctors nowadays are trained to be employees. They're trained to be sheep and not shepherd. Fifty years ago, you know, you had Marcus Welby. You had Dr. Kildare. You had all these bold doctors doing things on TV. And uh, but now doctors are trained to be employees, and so they're employees of a big corporation, or they're or they're, you know, they're on a panel for an insurance company of Blue Shield or Blue Cross, and if they step out of line, they're going to lose their Blue Cross contract, or they're going to get kicked off of their staff, or they're going to get fired from their HMO, and so they end up keeping their head down. It's a sort of the thing you saw. Why don't people speak out in businesses when? When uh you know there were mandates to 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 vaccinate people in order to, for them to keep their job i mean coercion yeah. in any form is never acceptable, but in medical ethics it is absolutely unacceptable and yet you, you see it at every twist and turn
1: oh yeah there's a, a great value in being uh independent i think in an advisory or a, a care role um, <clears throat> sure there's some value in having the resources of the large organization but you know kind of like you i made a decision myself to be an independent advisor and that was hard you know it's hard to say i'm going to leave all support systems i'm going to leave you know i I don't have the ability to attach myself to a big brand name uh you know that could hurt the prospecting for new business ultimately what what caused me to make that decision and take that leap was to say you know what the the independence is going to provide me the best opportunity to do it's right, because I know when I think a decision needs to be made, I can actually do it. I don't have to answer to anybody else other than the person I take care of.
2: Yeah. I mean, Sanger, you couldn't. You, that's exactly right in every profession. That's right. I, I just an example I often use when I talk about this is, you know, if I have a microscope in my office and it breaks. Guess what? I go out tomorrow and buy a new microscope.
1: Yeah. If you, you don't, don't have to submit a five page form and, and wait <laughs> for it. three committees that
2: only meet once a month to come to occlusion and then get several bids. And then, and then, you know, it takes eight months. So meanwhile, in eight, for eight months, you can't make dice, <laughs> make diagnosis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, well, you and know, I can't it's, work It's in that true. System. Yeah,
0: I, you know, I I think there's a lot of uh, wisdom in, in looking at the decision you made, Sanger, to say, you know, I want to be able to control my own destiny. And And you and I have talked about that many times is, is part of a larger organization. If there are big organizations, even in the financial services industry, they've got to put down rules and guidelines for the, the masses you for know, the idiots. It, well, I don't want to say for the idiots, but they've got a it's lot only of the
1: idiots who ever caused those rules to be made. <laughs> okay. If you had a, if you had a hospital full of angels, okay, there's not going to be very many rules.
0: You'd have to have smart angels too, right?
1: Okay. So if you had a hospital full of competent, benevolent people yes, and nobody was dumb, nobody was greedy, nobody was immoral, nobody was vengeful, nobody was envious, nobody was prideful. If you had a hospital, a bank, a school, whatever, a government full of people like that, you wouldn't have to have those rules. We wouldn't have to have laws. No,
0: no you wouldn't. But the reality of it is that... that- you don't have that ideal situation, and yeah, so, so there are. Nice. There, so here, here's my question: When you look at many of those rules, whether they're compliance rules, uh, policy and procedure rules, they are there ultimately for risk mitigation. Now, they're there. You know, I think we can all agree they're they're there primarily not to protect the patient; they're there to protect the institution, right? Uh, and, and so, right, yeah, <laughs> bravo. Right. So when you look at uh, separating from that organization, there there's going to be an inherent assumption of or, or assumption of risk on on your part because now you're saying I'm going in violation of the prescribed methodology. I'm going to take uh, this this patient and we're going to do it a, a different way. Isn't there a a an increased level of risk that you're assuming? doing that? And how did that factor into your decision-making that sort of risk? There had to be some risk mitigation thought process that you went through.
2: Are you asking me? Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. no, well, well, both of you, but yeah, I'll, I'll talk to Sanger offline. Okay. Well,
2: you know, this is, first of all, that was brilliantly said. I, I really want to have a beer with both you guys later, but when you look at these policies that are put in place, and you say, "Is it risky to be outside of those policies?" And I would say it's the opposite. I would say that that um, being free to make decisions in the best interest of the individual client as opposed to skewing your counseling so that your clients follow the rules of the institution makes you less likely to be sued, less likely to find yourself in a situation where you have to prevaricate. That's—I'll use a nice word, okay? Um, it, you, you, it, it frees it frees you up to be honest and to individualize. And when you work within a system that is where the rules are, as you, as you said, are made by the risk management department. These are people that come in and work nine to five and never are in the in the hospital at two o'clock in the morning when a decision has to be yeah. made and certain. Uh, things are supposedly have to be done. And if they don't get done, they come in at nine the next morning and then yell at you for not doing them. Um, it's very hard for me to respect these people. I wouldn't necessarily call them stupid uh, or idiots, um, Sanger. But I, but I would tell you that they're not <laughs> smart, though, Sean, because um, there's, there's no correlation between academic credentials and wisdom. And... And the, yeah. and the people that sure. run my profession are very highly trained, and they're very unwise. They, they, they don't know anything but what, they, what, but what they know, and they don't care to seek out any information outside of what they know because it makes them uncomfortable. There's a cognitive dissonance there. All right? I mean, talk about a term that's bandied around all the time, which is standard of care. Right. What's the standard of care? Well, first of all, who decides what the standard of care is? The hospital, the hospital's lawyers, the, the, the county, the state, the federal government, um, the you know who decides? And the standard of care is something that if you have a bunch of bad doctors in a hospital, the standard of care is bad medicine. So if you practice good medicine, you're outside the standard of care. If you practice what is um, that there's what I don't like to use the term evidence based because evidence can be good or bad. um, But when you practice things that are scientific, that are like breech birth is one my big thing. um, It's very supported in the literature. And yet it's vilified because it's not the standard of care. So, so many things are being done in the standard of care. And then once you have that, nobody stops to ask why. It gets back to my original point where, you know, why does a woman coming in have to go pee in a cup? Why does she have to change into a hospital gown? Why can't she wear her jammy? She's not sick. Why does she have to sign all these forms? And why does she have to have blood drawn? And why does she have to be on her back and wear these belts? And if I ask these questions of a nurse or something like that, who works in that system and has done it for 30 years, they wouldn't have an answer for me because they would look at me like I'm from Mars. But ultimately yeah. it's what the, it, we need to reassess how we do things in medicine by what is best for the woman. You said it, so I think one of you guys said it's what's best for the system, not the woman. And that is, I, I applauded that because that's exactly what the system is. It's not what's best for the woman. Nothing of those things I said from the moment that you get, to the hospital, and they do all these things to you is for the benefit of the woman.
1: Yeah, how do you make decisions when when you're making decisions for for the care of a client outside of the traditional view of the system? Um, how do you, how do you do that with confidence, knowing that? that's the wise and prudent approach, right? So on, on any given issue, right? Because we could take one issue and you could give me all the reasons. Um, and I could think of issues in my practice as an advisor and go, well, I do this, the system does that, but I do this because da 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 I think there's some danger, I know, in my own perspective to making sure that what I'm recommending, I'm not being a contrarian, number one, because <laughs> I I have a tendency probably like you to go, ah, the system, system's got its you wrong. You mean just own. for
0: the sake of being contrary?
1: Yeah, there's, yeah, right. there's there, the system, I'm very skeptical of the system. So when the system says, you got to do this, I go, mm, do you, you know, but I, I shouldn't simply discredit it or, or reject it on that basis alone. Right. Um, wisdom is, is hard to, hard to measure, right? There, there, if I were, if you were to take the approach and say, what I do is I follow all of the dictates and all of the recommendations of the larger system and, um, you you aren't what you aren't ever going to be is or rarely you're extraordinary ra- you're rarely going to be extraordinary but you're also rarely going to be fatally wrong like you're not going to expose yourself to dramatic risk you're also likely not going to expose your client to um dramatic risk there's there is a big risk but it's not going to all come crashing down right yeah well, so
0: we we know advisors who've done that uh, who have not follow the prescribed methodology and, and
1: everything they get, they ruin people's lives. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think there there's, but aren't there equally, aren't there equally the enough,
2: enough stories of people who follow the doctrine and ruin people's lives?
1: I, I can speak in, in with respect to my industry. Okay. Okay. There, there definitely are. I mean, there are. It, I would say it's less, it's far less dramatic and severe, right? Um, I would say that the way that people ruin lives in our industry is they they don't think outside the box. They don't give advice that's actually for you. They give advice that's you know just very very general. And so the way that your life is ruined is not that you actually go broke. It's that you don't fulfill your potential. You 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 have a bunch of money that you don't know what to do with. Or you really don't think that you can do anything with. Um, you, there, you're never going to do anything extraordinary. You're never going to fulfill your potential. You're never going to have everything that you could have had. Um, the likelihood that the traditional advice in our space is going to lead to bankruptcy, uh, in most cases is, uh, low. I mean, there are cases where people are going to, um, abuse rules within the system. They still stayed within the guardrails and they gave wrong, immoral advice, uh, that was coming from a place of their own greed. That definitely does mm-hmm. happen. Uh, that, that happens a lot. Um, but generally speaking, we could look at, I could, without getting super technical, I could look at any of those advisors and what they've done and say, yeah, I mean, maybe that wasn't outside of the, that wasn't outside of the traditional guardrails of the system. Meaning they could do that for 20 years and no red flags went up at their big wirehouse, big financial institution, et cetera. But that exists outside of the traditionally accepted wisdom of the industry. Yeah, And the industry would not have endorsed that if they were paying attention to them
2: my my feeling when you were talking about that is that there's a parallel between your the financial cons- consulting and medical consulting and the parallel is this as an independent consultant singer at your initial visit with a with a new client you probably give them time and you ask them what are your goals what would you like to see happen yeah. you know and you and you and you'd spend time with them and you give them what's called informed consent in the, in the way that you do it in your in your business and in our business if you don't have the time to sit with somebody and hear their individual story and you lump them all together you're not doing them a service and you can't possibly give them the care or attention that they deserve and the medical model the industrial medical model is not designed for time. It's designed for expediency and medical legal concerns. And um, uh, so you can't give informed consent in an actual way. And there, you know, to give true informed consent would take it takes forever. But to give reasonable informed consent, you need time. And in order to do it properly, you need to understand and under and know the person you're talking to and what they are, they what they desire. And that doesn't go on in yeah. my profession in the medical model, and so
0: where, where I've seen it in in our profession is where you can, you know a, a, an advisor could be following the prescribed methodology of the of uh, the industry or their company or you know whatever. And where it can go sideways for an individual client, and maybe you can speak to this in the the medical field, is when the advisor is taking a product-based approach. In other words, they're not looking Mm. at the needs of of the individual. They're saying, how do I place this product? How do I place this mutual fund annuity, whatever it is? Uh, and everything is then designed cleverly to lead to that outcome, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. All the systems, all yeah, you the know, processes. It's interesting to hear. They'll, they'll lead to it's that. It's interesting
2: outcome. to hear you guys talk like that because I am in such a, a like a, a bubble of my own world. But when you said that, it just reminds me of of the American College of OBGYN puts out a newsletter every week or so, and in the newsletter sometimes they'll have things about counseling people on vaccines. And there's a vaccine called mm-hmm. the TDAP vaccine, which is tetanus diphtheria, and Pertussis. It's recommended by ACOG to give to all women at 28 weeks pregnant, even though um, it's never been tested in pregnant women. And they came what? and they came oh, and God. they came out well, the same thing with the COVID vaccine, but we won't even go there. I'm just using TDAP as an example. They came out with a statement that about how to counsel women who were reluctant to take the Tdap and the flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the at the end of the statement it said if the I'm I'm paraphrasing here but if the woman decides not to do take the vaccine after you've counseled them then you must have counseled them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they actually say this. Jesus. And they've said it about oh, the man, COVID vaccine geez. as well. But they they actually say that as opposed to maybe the person has a different philosophy
1: Because no logical person no logical person could ever not want to do this thing that we say. That's right.
2: Good. They're so yeah. they're so confident in their position. You know, it's it's there's an old saying, it says it's not my skepticism that should bother you. It's 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 their confidence. And one of the yeah. things you ask me is like is like how do I deal with something? I'm I'm in a comfortable position. I know what I'm an expert at, and I know what I'm not an expert at. And because I feel comfortable and confident and I'm able to speak my own mind, I'm able to tell people, you know, I don't know that, or I'm not your best guy for that. And I don't have to pretend that I am. I don't have to, I have the time to go through it. I have the time, you know what, let's look this up. And we pull out our phones. I mean, we got all the world's information in your pocket and you could pull it out and look it up.
0: So so when you look at risk mitigation, you know, when, you know, when we're, we're focusing on decision-making part of decision-making and risk mitigation, when you look at risk mitigation, you've got to go to your fact sources and in your, you know, industry, that's going to be uh, organizations like the, uh, the, AMA, the, a- the ACAR, CBC, yeah, right. you know, those types of things. Yeah. All of those. So in the current environment, but, and I'll say at least for me up until probably about a year and a half ago, <laughs> Uh, if the CDC had said something to me, I would have followed that blindly. I mean, yes, that's what they're saying, and I will do it.
1: Yeah, I would have done anything they said. Um, I'm
0: probably, and I I don't think I'm alone – I think I'm probably 180 degrees from that now. Yeah, I've been. uh, Is that what they're saying? I I might, I might view with some skepticism and and seek more information. Maybe that's. Yeah, I was. I was skeptic
2: uh, of them a lot longer than just the last two years. But (laughs) but but I understand that if anybody isn't skeptic of them now, then they're then they're really living in a in a in a fantasy world because they have lied to you Mm -hmm. consistently, and if you read proper books. They have lied to you for a hundred mm-hmm. years and they keep lying to you. And yet we keep, we keep following them. And why do we follow them? Well, now it's because they're, everyone's compromised by big pharma. And then why does the press right. not challenge them? Because the press is number one sponsor is big pharma. And why does the CDC not, uh, you know, approve something when, when it doesn't even have any research behind it? It's because they're corrupted and, well, that that goes to my question
0: is that when you're looking at risk assessment, risk mitigation, decision making, and your your source material is in your mind cor- corrupted. In, I'm not saying they're corrupt. Well, you can not saying that I the, would the validity of what. Okay, no, I would, right? I would. They are corrupt. <laughs> well, I don't have enough. I don't have enough information to say that. All right, maybe you do, but I I, I don't have enough facts. Well, the AMA in, in is my, a, the my AMA. I'll say it out loud, out loud. Is a
2: corrupt, corrupt organization. organization. Okay. They don't represent okay. the physicians of America.
0: Well, how do you how do you make good decisions then, as a physician, if if you've got doubt about these major organizations and the the validity of the information that they're giving you? That would be real hard if I had to make investment decisions and I couldn't trust
2: my you can't in the system that exists now because there isn't time for you as a physician to actually look into these right. things. There just isn't. So what you have to do is you have to, you have to go with something called shared decision making, and you have to allow people, um, give them the best information you can. You ask them to then do their own research. Where do they look? It's hard to know because everything now is done through searches, and searches are all filtered. You, you, can't, you can't find things. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, here's a good example. Uh, it's, it's, it's just something happened recently. I was having lunch with my old accountant who's retired and i we were talking about the news, and he says, "I get my news off of my Apple phone and i said, mm-hmm. so we were we had been talking about sudden adult death syndrome, and you might have heard of that recently. It's like no okay yeah, well that's that? great it's it's an it's a new diagnosis, and they can't figure out." where why it's happening or where it came from but it's only happened in the last people year people are just dropping dead yeah people in the age, age group of 18 to to 60 are dropping dead at a rate that's never been seen before and we all know where it's coming from but nobody will say it and well, I don't know where, where what are you ta- where is it coming from <laughs> I'm scared
0: shitless now where is it coming from
2: <laughs> what are you it, talking? It, it's coming yes. from the vaccine the uh, the uh, mRNA vaccine and the myocarditis and all the other stuff that's coming along with it. All you have to do is go dig deep. You go to Substack, you read people that aren't being censored and you can find out this information. You look at Robert McCullough or, or Robert Malone or uh, 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 Dr. McCary, Dr. Corey. I mean, there's there's so many people. You watch the high wire with Del Bigtree. You understand that this is all going on. But my point was, is that it, it's hard. It's hard because yeah. because because everything is motivated as you know by the money and by by the time and the, and the and the corruption of the system so it's very very hard but there is something that we all are blessed with the less educated we are the more we're blessed with common sense and when something doesn't seem right common sensically like for instance nature didn't design uh, so that one third of all women need a cesarean section in order to give birth. And anybody who thinks that it's got to have, there's got to be something wrong with them to think that that a third of all women need to be c-sectioned in order in order to give birth. And and so when you start to things don't pass the smell test, they just don't sound right. They don't seem right. And when you have the time, to investigate these things and you and you actually have the experience as I have now for 40 years you can see where things are are being done that are detrimental to our own health our long our long term uh our long term health i mean for instance you look at um, chronic diseases in children 54% of children now have a chronic chronic illness in 1980s it was 12% The C-section rate in 1970 was 5%. It's now 32%. The rate of cerebral palsy is the same. So when you start to see that these medical models are doing all these interventions and all these things and the outcomes aren't better, and if anything, they might be slightly worse or a lot worse, then you have to stop and you have to, the system has to be broken down and each individual person needs to do what's best for them. Some people, the doctor telling them what to do and then scheduling a is a godsend. I just want to be told what to do. I, I don't want to have to think about it. Do other people um, in, uh, giving their kids 72 vaccines by the time they're 18 years of age? Seems insane for diseases that most of us have had, or at least you and I, Sean, had when we were young. Okay, we had them all. Mm-hmm. What do we need vaccines mm-hmm. for we're healthier because of that. So the medical model is the whole thing is is corrupted and it needs to be thrown out and it, and if you get back to the, the the main question about how do i deal with my individual clients i give them the time i give them the time to ask questions and i give them the and, and the medical model doesn't allow that you're you know if you work for an hmo you have maybe 6 or se- 7 minutes for a prenatal visit how can you accomplish in 7 minutes in a prenatal visit what i can com- what i do in 60 minutes you can't
0: Oh, I, I know personally, you know, I, I have a concierge doctor relationship and it, that I, I'm getting far better care now than I was under the model where, you know, the insurance would pay for a three and a half minute, you know, doctor visit. Yeah. yeah and and so a, much the of the our, for, so much know, of our illness now
2: it has to do with, with our lifestyle and our stress and, you know, and our sleep. And, and how many times yeah. when you go in for a six minute office visit, can your doctor get into that sort of thing? He can't. So here's a prescription yep. for uh for an SSRI. You'll feel better. Just take this.
0: So so I have a question on, on you. You mentioned the term shared decision making, and and so I can't think of a an industry, particularly the the subset of the industry you're in, uh, you know the OB work that is more high and low on the emotional scale. I mean, you 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 see the highest of highs of birth, you. you see the, the worst yep. of it too. And so to, to place some of the decision making in the hands of somebody who's suffering, not suffering, but but going through those types of emotional highs and lows, how do you control against that? Because you know, as we know, decision making is probably not going to be at, at its best when this person is going through these sort of emotion, they're in a high emotion state. You know what?
2: Ultimately, any sort of decision-making is subservient to the patient's uh, informed consent and decision-making. So uh, uh, people have the right of informed consent and the right of informed refusal. They also have the right of uninformed refusal. If somebody says no, it means no. And in my profession, if you think that you need to do something to save the life of a mother or the baby and the woman says no, then the answer is no. All right? I know that you can go get a okay. court order. That seems like I'm a, sorry, Singer?
1: Yeah. Well, that seems like a really challenging ethical dilemma. I mean, what if you really, really, like, i got to save your life right now, and, they're, st- and they, they're saying no, and you're 100% confident that they're, that no is coming from an uninformed place. They don't under- Maybe they don't even understand. The right the of self-determination
2: in a human being uh, tr- trumps everything. And I've gotten this from from uh, human rights from human Fair rights enough. attorneys have told me this. We've had these conversations at these meetings that we have, where we talk about informed consent. That you have, <laughs> and they have the they have the right to say no to chemotherapy. They have the right to say no to surgery. Um, sure, and they have the right to say no, even if their baby is in trouble. And by the way, the because of the uh, uncertainty of the prognostic uh, abilities of our current medical profession, some people say. You know, we have to do this right now or or the baby's going to die. First of all, that's a terrible thing to ever say to any pregnant woman. But secondly, they're wrong a lot of the time. They're wrong a lot of the time. And so we talk about confidence in the CDC. You know, it's hard if you if in my profession, it would be very hard for me to be confident in what the average OBGYN or the average maternal fetal medicine doctor spews out of their mouth this
1: mindset of being skeptical of what the system is saying coming up with our our own finding our own information and and making decisions based on an individual it seems it seems like it's a, a wave it seems like it's really kind of shifting uh sean shared his experience my experience your experience um i don't think we're alone short of the recent Uh, breaches of trust that the cdc has exhibited what other factors in your opinion are contributing to that cultural shift
2: well i think i think um if you look at you know there's there's an awakening now of alternative i i don't even like to use the word alternative medicine because it's not alternative it's actually back to normal it's like um yeah, Original it's like medicine. Uh, mm-hmm. Ayurvedic medicine or homeopathic medicine or chiropractic or acupuncture, Eastern medicine, uh, nutritional medicine. I mean, o- organic living, organic food. You know, when when I grew up, Sean and I grew up, the, the, if you went to your store to get a tomato, there was like big tomatoes and little tomatoes. And that was it, right? Right. <laughs> now yeah. now you've got all kinds tomatoes. of tomatoes, yeah. and including <laughs> organic tomatoes and this grown with this and this grown with that. T- you know, it, it's confusing, but there's an, a, there's an, a burgeoning culture out there of people awakening to the idea that, you know what, 5G is not a great the idea to live next to a 5G tower. And eating processed food all day long is probably not healthy. And living in a city where there's constant noise and stress is not, is not necessarily healthy. And people are beginning to understand that. Mm-hmm. And they're beginning to look to alternative uh, medicine. Um, whether it be, uh, uh, and again, I'm not an expert in this, but there are people like Zach Bush, aren't, I don't know if you know who Zach is, but he's a, uh, you should look into him. Um, he, they're experts in, in, in healthy living as opposed to treating, you know, treating everything as an illness and making a prescription for it rather than changing your lifestyle, losing weight, the, the yeah. dumbest things they could have done when this pandemic hit. Was to tell you to stay inside and to not see your loved ones <laughs> and all that other stuff. Be sad and yeah, be sad yeah. and uh, remember when they they
0: closed
1: right. the outdoors. Oh they, yeah, we went to the we we right out of COVID like week one. We were like, dude, we're going to and the they beach. They closed the beach. Right? This this sucks. We're not yeah. going here. Yeah, we go to the beach and people were all the conveniently. You know who supported this the most? People who own property yeah, on the yeah, beach. Yeah, they didn't want to be
2: there. <laughs> <laughs> they, they didn't like us at all. How did they no. figure this out? If if you couldn't figure out when they told you that liquor stores were essential, but gyms are non-essential um, during right. this thing, and that you know that marijuana dispensaries in California were essential because they raised tax money, right. but 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 a church but wasn't, church wasn't or it didn't. that yeah. you could buy your groceries yep. at at Costco. Or whatever, but you couldn't buy your, you couldn't go to the local hardware store. They had to close. You, you, right. you could see where this was coming from, and it made no sense. And then, of course, the people that were running it didn't follow their own rules, and there was story after story after story of them violating. So they don't believe it either. And we, we live in a world now where you really should be suspect of anything if it's coming from big tech, big media, and big pharma, and big government. And you, and you have to. And it's and it's, it's sad. Really hard it's, to... it's, it adds a stress to your life so you can simplify your life. And we are going to end up having to simplify our life. But when it comes to how you have your babies and children, nothing could be more important. And it gets back to the idea that, that the well, medical model is not doing women well.
1: Yeah. And it's incredibly hard to make decisions in this day and age where we can't trust what's spoken on the TV. We can't trust the radio. We can't trust. I mean, heck we thought we could Google our own research until a few years ago. Now we can't do that. There there's, there's really nowhere we can go without the wisdom without trusting the wisdom of a, a a competent and wise advisor in the area of our life. We're seeking to improve for women. It seems like the amount of decisions when you're talking about something like as important as birth is, Oh geez, it's endless. It's it's endless the amount of decisions that they have to make. So what is the what is maybe the most significant decision that women are making with respect to creating a healthy? The best thing experience? that that women
2: can do, um, first of all, is is stay off of social media. Find your own tribe of like minded people. But I would say that every pregnant woman, barring a few tiny percentile who have really significant medical issues. Should at least at some time during their pregnancy, probably early on, consult with a midwife. Start with your care with a midwife because the midwifery model treats pregnancy as a normal function of your body, and isn't fear-based, and isn't going to drive you at your first visit to tell you, "Well, you're over 35, or your husband's six foot two, and you're only four foot <laughs> eleven, and so your, your hips are too small," and and, and they're not going to they're not going to start planting these seeds of doubt in you. They're going to support you. They're going to nurture you. They're going to have hour long prenatal visits where they can talk about keeping healthy and nutrition and sleep and stress reduction. How's your relationship and how's your lovemaking and how's, and how are these things going? Whereas the medical doctor essentially doesn't want to ask you these questions because they don't have time to deal with it it. They
1: don't have, they can't sit there and commit to, to that, you know, two hours to have an initial bring a midwife meeting. into yeah. your world they, that is they're, they're, that
2: would be the best advice because midwives should be taking care of pregnant women and doctors should deal with the problems that occur.
1: Yeah, that, that advice reminds me. Let me see if we have it.
2: Uh, I was going to say, while you're looking for that, the, the doc doctors um, are not going to like what I just said because it's a you know they have a monopoly on the business. And what's really true. crazy is that is that when when state legislatures make decisions about midwives. Who do they go to for, for information? They go to academic physicians at the basic yeah. at the universities in their state. And these guys know nothing about midwifery or what midwives do.
0: Yeah. Am I wrong? Or did the state of California just recently like, or, or did they restrict how midwives can interact with, with women? Are there restrictions that the government is Yeah. In, in
2: 2014, they, they passed a law that said midwives can't do certain things like before 37 weeks or after 42 weeks or breaches or twins, they, they, the, in order to have autonomy from uh, physician supervision, the midwives made a deal with the devil. And because before they said that they had to have a midwife supervisor to, in order to practice. And of course, I mean, excuse me, a doctor supervisor in order to practice. And if they couldn't find a doctor supervisor, because what doctor is going to want to supervise midwives other than people like right. me, um, there's no percentage in it for them and so and it's direct competition to them and so and they were told by their partners and their associations not to do it so right it it, the the, all the laws are stupid there are laws and there are states that have laws that say that a woman can have a home birth if she wants it but if she hires somebody who's qualified to be there that person is guilty of a felony whoa (laughs) what yeah that's yeah I mean it seems like an extreme reaction. Well it seems extremely stupid. But it's but these are these people in legislatures they don't really know anything so they go to their advisors which are the academic professors at universities um and they and they hate home birthing and midwife they think it's horrible because they all live in a bubble where they tell each other that home birth is horrible and occasionally they may see a bad outcome at home birth without while they're ignoring all the potential bad outcomes they have at their um in their own institution. I mean, newborn yeah. intensive care units guys are not filled with babies who had bad outcomes at home. There's gotta be, um,
1: is there a self regulatory body of this type of care is, I mean, I, I can understand the point of view if we were to, to give them the most benevolent, benevolent motive and say, well, the government, you know, they didn't, they didn't do this because they're stupid and evil and corrupt and, uh, and, you know, receiving money from big pharma, they did it because they genuinely care about people. I know that's a leap to assume that our government cares about us, but if we did, (laughs) we would, we would say that, well, they're, they're resistant to this because, you know, Sanger Smith, who doesn't know anything about birth could, you know, charm some people into paying them a lot of money to help them through this process with no credentials, no education and no wisdom at all. And that could put people in a dangerous spot.
2: Um, yeah, I'm not saying that you should have a, a, a country without some rules and guidelines, but the problem is, is in, in a free country as America used to be, we're free to make mistakes. We're free to do, exercise our rights, and we're not always going to make the right decision. You were – you know, Sean raised you, Sanger, and at some point he let you go, and he, he's not still at this point telling you – I hope not <laughs> – still telling you everything that you should and should not be doing. Um, you, 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 we somehow have become a nanny state where we don't want people to make their own decisions. And you know what? That's not the world that I want to live in. And that's not the world we should want our children to grow up in. Uh, and we're stuck with it and and we don't have to, and there you're, you're going to see a counterculture, you're going to see, um, alternatives popping up. There'll be alternative communities popping up. Uh, where people go to free areas or free states or whatever they can do and they'll 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 withdraw from the current system because the current system has failed them and it certainly I think failed you're birth. Seeing
1: that you're you're definitely seeing seeing that happen right now i mean the the multitude of decisions that women have to make uh in this this stage of their life um it's really challenging we We had um a guest on a while back dr emily oster uh she wrote. Book called Expecting Better, and it was just all. It was, I mean, I don't know personally. I I obviously didn't use it to uh, facilitate any births, but it was an tr- incredible resource yeah, where was. she approached all of these difficult questions with a, an objective uh, point of view. So, hey, this is what the data is. I'm not telling you what to do, uh, and she didn't tell anyone. She didn't, her book's not telling anyone what to do at any right. point. She says, "Oh, you want to, you know, here's the data. Though. You want to give birth yeah. at home? Here's all the info you need." Uh, you want to, uh, you know, should should you breastfeed or not? You know, well, here's the info. You know, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you're not going to hell if you do. There it are
2: wrong. tons of websites and there are tons of resources that are really good out there. The problem, of course, as you said earlier, is how do you know which ones are 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 good and which ones yeah. are 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 uh, are not? Which ones are are false or BS or whatever you want to call it? You, you don't. But again, that's where your common sense meter and and that's where you um you know you individualize your care. Some people want to be told. They 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 sort of enjoy. I don't mean they enjoy living in fear, but they they just want someone to tell them what to do. And yeah, some people do. And that's
1: they. Those people, as a as an advisor, that was took me a while to recognize because that's not what I want. You know, I don't want to be told what to do. I want to be given the information that I'm going to pick, and I'm going to be more confident in what I picked if you didn't tell me, (laughs) if you just stayed quiet. You know. then other areas of my life, I'm a lot less confident. When I go to a doctor, I just want my doctor to tell me what's up. I don't know. And, and I don't really want to know because it makes me uncomfortable. We start talking about x-rays. You start, you know, showing me what's going on inside my body. I don't, uh, just tell me what to do. Tell me to take this pill, you know. And I'm very sympathetic to that mindset of, hey, you know what? I don't know all these big words you're using. I don't know what this is like. I don't know what the hell you're talking about, Dr. Stu. Just tell me what to do. And 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 if people were I think if people were more honest with what they're seeking, uh, honest with themselves and honest with their care providers or their advisors and said, "Okay, look, I really just want you to say what's up. Um, Then I think uh, the uh, folks in the the professional setting could hopefully do a better job of saying, oh, if if you just want me to tell you exactly what to do, I got a few questions for you. I still am going to have to spend some time to understand where you are, where you want to go, what's important to you. But I can deliver that advice in a more concise and direct way, tailored to what you're actually asking.
2: Yeah, the for. big difference, uh, uh, we can probably get sum up with this. The big difference is that the medical model looks at pregnancy as a as a medical procedure, like having your appendix out. They don't understand that this is a life-changing event for a woman and her family, and that that there are like m- my colleagues have come up with this analogy, which is a great analogy. Um, you know, in a woman's life, there are probably two events that are the most meaningful in her life. One is her wedding day and the other is the birth of her children. OK, for your yeah. wedding. You plan everything. The, the <laughs> color of the napkins, yeah. who you're inviting, the, the font on the invitations, the flowers, the lighting, the band. The, you spend hours and time and doing all that stuff because it's your wedding and because it's important to you. And for the birth of our children, culturally, what, what have we done? We said, well, I have uh, I have blue shield. So I just will go to the same guy that's been doing my pap smear for 10 years and not do any investigating into whether this guy is somebody that, you know, has your same philosophy at all, or, or what, you know, what's their C-section rate or, you know, do they let you do this or they let you do that? You don't do any investigation. So, the, the funny analogy is, is what if they had wedding insurance and what if you paid into a, a mm. fee and then when your wedding came, <laughs> your wedding was covered, but, but they decided who you were going to invite to your wedding and what kind of food you could have and uh, what the dress would look like. No one would do that. No one would ever abdicate the, those choices for their wedding to an insurance company or a third party. And yet that's what we do with pregnancy as opposed to having your appendix out or treating a broken leg all right pregnancy is a different medical it's not a medical event it's treated in a hospital which is the only thing you go to the hospital for that's wellness i mean everything else you go to a hospital for is illness but not not having a baby having a baby is a normal function of a woman's body like breathing or digestion you don't really have to think about what growing a baby or even going into labor these things happen whether you think about them or not. As a matter of fact, when you think about them, you actually Mm -hmm. mess them up. So spend, I would would tell your listeners to tell their families to spread the word, to make this an important event. Spend some time, spend some money, investigate your choices, look around, but always make sure that you talk to several different people, including an interview with a midwife. Don't just assume because everybody goes to the hospital to give birth that it's the right thing to do. Just because something's been done that yeah. way for a long time doesn't make it right.
1: Well, I love hearing your story, Dr. Sue, and your wisdom is really profound. I think that this wave is going to continue. Uh, people are going to ask more questions, uh, tailor their experiences through these monumental life moments uh, to more fit what they want. And you're you're leading the way on that. So thanks for being here. Uh, I know I learned a lot.
0: Yeah, thank you, Dr. Stu.
2: Where can people yeah, find I, your work? I, Okay. Well, they can go to um, uh, Instagram. I'm on uh, Instagram. And then my website is birthinginstincts, <laughs> com, And then my podcast, uh, which is on your podcast app is Birthing Instincts. <laughs> Keep it simple. <so laughs> podcast. Perfect. And uh, I do, a, a, I talk a lot. You know, the problem is in an hour's time, guys, covering all yeah. these different topics, you only can touch on a little little things and I you know and I tried to it's really hard for me to stay even on topic because I know that your audience is really listening to to, you know they wanted to know like decision making and things like that and it's there's so much background that you have to have in order to get to the point but it is hard to find the information but you can if you work hard at it so just like it was your wedding you wouldn't pick the first florists you might investigate three or four investigate three or four OBs and a midwife and put some work into it. And don't worry about spend. If you have to spend some money on it, it won't, a year or two later, that money that you spent won't mean anything, but the memory of how you gave birth will be with you your entire life. Great point. Love that. <laughs>
0: My takeaway from our discussion with Dr. Stu was not one that I expect. And where it led me was really around looking at wading into data analysis with a, with a bit of skepticism and ultimately giving yourself the freedom to make your own decisions. And, and even though there may be influences coming from certain sources to make sure you're making the right decision, your own decision for you. That was, that was my takeaway.
1: Yeah. My, my, Biggest takeaway is that independence of the professional who's in the advisory or the care provider role or whatever you could call that. uh, The professionals that are in our lives, it's important and there's a huge value in having them be independent. And I think that Dr. Stu does a a great job of of playing that independent role for his clients. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly.
0: Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly Podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.